if you came to listen to stories from a contestant of The Bachelorette and hear about his faith journey, as well as a crying, hysterical baby in the background, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Helmet Theory Podcast. Here we go. Three, two, one. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh, man. No, it's good to be with you guys. Uh, yeah, my name is Brady Toops. Uh, grew up in Minnesota from a family of five kids. I'm a triplet, the oldest uh, of the triplets, the oldest of the five. And what? Yeah, I mean, I'm from New London, Minnesota, a thousand people. So nobody's ever heard of it. And small town, small town living, you know, kind of made my way from Minnesota to Arkansas, Razorback, Hog, played baseball hey, there for. Let's go for four years. Really enjoyed my time. Had some fun success in those years. Uh, the last two was when uh, Dave Van Horn came on as the, the new head coach after Coach DeBrine. You know, we got to play in three regionals, two super regionals in the College World Series. Super fun. That's cool. Then I navigated to uh, Kansas City. Lived there for like six years. Was a part of some ministries in the charismatic world. Started doing music. I was playing professional baseball at the St. Louis Cardinals. And during that time in the off season, I would be at these ministries. And I started playing some stuff and like writing songs and some worship stuff. And then I navigated over to Nashville. Came to Nashville about 10 years ago to make a record with a guy named Anthony Skinner, and who was one of my heroes. And we made that record, and I just never left. I wasn't going to move to Nashville, and then I just thought – I just got to this point where I was like, I'm not leaving. This is my home. And did the music wow. thing for the last 10 years, and then a couple of years ago kind of burned out. Um, had some wild experiences. We can get into everything from reality TV to, like, total uh, – I feel like the, like the top five things that could have happened in my life to disrupt everything like happened from like a massive kind of a, like a fame thing to like deconstruction in my whole worldview to like a shifting of career, which then changed finances, relationships, stuff like breakdowns, falling in love, getting heartbroken, all the kind of things like you put that in a blender and there's no way you're getting out of that season alive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, or wow. getting getting out of it the same way that you entered into is kind of what I mean. So you mentioned you started playing around when you were playing baseball. Like, did you stumble into music, or have you always been musically inclined? I I feel like ever since I was really really little, whenever I was happy, I would sing. So music, a melody, like that always was a part of me it felt like breathing and uh but i never i never really like i mean i sang but i didn't really take it that seriously right i my goal in in high school was to try to be the i would sing along with boys to men and i was like mom do you think that boys to men would take you think they would take like a fifth member and and would they take like a white dude you know like (laughs) all the we'd go yeah Yeah. To the end of the road. Come on. Hey, hey, fun, fun story. Nichols and I in high school were a part of this, like, they called it barbershop quartet, but we didn't do all the yeah. little doo-wops. We did, like, boys to men and, yeah. like, all that crap. So on Valentine's oh. Day, they'd send our little group around the school, like, singing boys to men songs for people who paid. Oh, get out. That's amazing. Crazy. We, I used to do the old songs, like Barbara Ann and Duke of Earl. Yeah, we know, yeah, we, we know some of those. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You get it, bro. You get it. I was the best. <laughs> yeah. I was, too. Ten or two, baby. Ooh, you get up there. Let's you go. know what I mean? I do what I can for the kids. Yeah, he finally <laughs> hit puberty, though. And he, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is rough. Well, the interesting thing was when I started deconstructing, it was like music was so attached to, I think, for such a long time, my belief system you know, and I was always like, wait, now when it started deconstruct, I was like, what do I start writing about now? Like, because I had a real, you guys probably relate. I had a real dualistic perspective <laughs> in the sense of like this over here is holy or sacred. And this over here is something else, right? Not even so, this, everything over here. E- 
everything, right? Anything out yeah. of the building, <laughs> out of this time, out of this service thing, whatever, right? So I, in, in the midst of all this process, I, I guess what got me out of that was I, I went on this reality show, The Bachelorette. I was one of the 25 guys, which was kind of a whole crazy experience. Went through some heartbreak in it, and I started writing breakup songs. And oh, I started to realize that it was all sacred. Like, in the midst of the breakup songs, in the midst of, like, my heart and, like, processing it through music and emoting and that kind of stuff, I was like, oh oh it's way bigger than i thought it's way bigger you, you know, ever dream about being on the new show the the what's oh, it called dude. the uh, the music it's list. called listen to your heart yeah there it is <laughs> and yeah they're one of our sponsors for the show so whatever it's <laughs> well i didn't get casted so i you know what i i i don't i just let the chips fall where they may i don't really worry about it too much you know <laughs> Nichols loves to make fun of me because I'm I'm a bit of a reality show junkie, man. Like, where there's garbage television, you will find me. <laughs> I don't it's know not, if that's a positive thing. Was that a positive statement? I don't know. You know, we're not going to be dualistic in how you. we think about ah, it. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. You just went there. <laughs> no, dude, I, I love it. I, I, it's like my secret passion. I've, I've auditioned. Well, I say auditioned. I sent a tape in for like Survivor. That was my big one. Oh, yeah. Oh, since he's been 14, he's yeah. been sending videos. In. And then, of course, like, like Bachelor, bachelor and Bachelorette, I'll, I'll go with the like, yeah, my girlfriend watches it, so, so do I. But, you know. Totally. But my wife watches it with me, so I don't know. I don't know who's. Hey, hey, I, I do want to ask you a question. All right. Yes. So we, me and my wife watched the the Bachelor. No, the Bachelor. Yeah, the Bachelor. The last season. And the whole entire time, I couldn't help but think, dude, this entire thing is scripted. Is it? No. Okay. Are parts no. of it scripted, like the situations and all that kind of stuff, or is it just cameras everywhere? Well, you can do a lot with editing to tell a story, so it doesn't matter what happens. Yeah, there's a lot of that, right? There's cameras okay. everywhere. There's uh, there's editing. There there are questions that are asked, right? That that get you into saying certain things. Uh, but no, I mean it's reality TV, so there's no forcing. You don't have to say anything, right? Except what okay. you want to say. But you know when you when you get that much content over that period of time and you create kind of characters and you figure out how to tell a story really well, you know, you can piece together various sound bites sure. to make a lot of things happen. Right. To right. spice it up. So I, I never, I never had the experience where they forced me to do or say anything. But the other thing is when you, when you put that many people in a room on camera for lots of hours on hours on hours with endless alcohol and not really getting outside into any other world like it it pushes you to the extremes right so yeah that makes sense so it's yeah they create they created the dynamics they set up the game to get drama yeah so okay <laughs> okay so you you know i mean you put those things together and you're gonna get some good tv you're gonna get yeah. some moments right i'll get us locked into like bachelor talk if i'm not careful but i'm really curious so you you mentioned uh you mentioned that led you into like writing breakup songs and then as you're writing songs you begin to go through a bit of a a faith crisis i don't i don't know what else to call it yeah, I think I'd already entered into it uh, a few years before that. Uh, you know, there's a difference between a belief system and uh, faith. And I think the problem is people think they're actually the same thing. Yeah, that's a great way so, to So, yeah, I mean, a belief system is a set of certainties around the way that you view anything. And the problem with belief is belief inherently separates. So it separates me from you. It separates, uh, I mean, even us from ourselves in different ways. The belief happens here in the thinking mind. Faith is a whole nother thing. Faith, faith is something 
that um like what is it what does the bible say it's the evidence of things hoped for it's like it's like it's this powerful um gravitational like thing that we partner with in the manifesting of creating like a new world so i went through a deep i went through like a le an unraveling that's there we go the i like that the unravel the unravel is the name of my podcast the unravel with brady tubes i went through an unraveling um through experiences or sort of triggered because of experiences of great pain experiences of great love and some experiences where I, I stepped into a new world, new worlds that I'd never been a part of that my old belief system couldn't make sense anymore. You know, uh, it's like, I have a friend who, who was a, who was a mega church pastor and he took a trip to India and he looked around and this is kind of like an ethnic experience. He looked around at like the millions of people, right? Like India's and he goes, wait, like, you're telling me that my belief system requires me to look at all these people and say, they're going to go to hell. And he just said, I like, can't compute, right? Like, like doesn't, doesn't work. And he came back and he said, I just like, I can't, like, I can't anymore. I can't believe, like, I know, I no longer can believe that thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the whole thing where like, uh, I forget who it was. Uh, one of the great writers, authors uh hemingway or something somebody like that ernest hemingway like like the mind once exposed to a greater idea can no longer shrink back to its original size or you know the thing once you have seen you can no longer unsee kind of thing right. so i had all those experiences like kind of like thrown into a season of life and there was a little bit of stuff around some uh, church dynamics and leadership and some breakdowns in there because the hard part about that world is it's a very agreement-based world, right? If you agree, you're in. If you disagree, you're out. So a lot of those are agreement-based relationships. They're also very uh, task-oriented or, or, um, or we all do this so we all then are friends. So, so if you start questioning or you stop attending things, it, the relationship breaks down. So it just revealed to me the depth or the lack thereof of true, the true sort of re relationship that, that we had. So I had some like disillusionment happen and I sort of asked, I started asking the question of what is church? And this is when I was kind of like, this is when I was in Nashville. And I started going to the Bible and I was like, what is the true expression? Like the ecclesia, the gathering, right? What is that? What is that? So I went to the Bible and I started like studying hardcore church, where the church came from, the different expressions, the different pagan sort of things that kind of comprised all the practices that we do today, where they came from. And that was interesting. But then I started going, wait, 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 wait a second. Like, what is, like, what is the Bible? Uh, what is this book that I've been studying and like, where did it come from? Because I got to get to the heart of that to even see what, if I can like trust what it says about this other thing. And I started to look at it and that's kind of when Rob Bell started writing these blog posts around what is the Bible before he even counted his book. And I just read every one of them, like 75 posts and it kept coming out. It was like eating it up, right? All this like really like progressive for me in that season of time and then i started to go like wait a second what is the judeo-christian narrative like what is this whole narrative that i've been born into as a meaning narrative for all of life and it and it, it's come from this really small group of people this super small tribe in the midst of history that sort of uh lived on through their writings now, like, let me look into that. So I sort of like did this like pretty intense historical study. And I got to the end of that. And I was like, oh, where these are the guys, people that wrote it and all the different various things and the versions. I mean, like, listen, I was at a pretty, like, I was like, I'm getting to the bottom of this kind of stuff, right? This wasn't yeah. just like somebody hurt me 
and in the church and then I'm like oh like fuck all of y'all like it wasn't that right it was like no like I am on a serious quest to find what is the truth and I think when I got done with the Judeo-Christian narrative thing also sorry kiddos for the little plus word in there sometimes I feel it (laughs) (laughs) um I got to this moment where I then started asking the question of what is God? And, and, and then there was the moment of like, does God exist? You know, like sort of like unraveling just layer by layer by layer. by Yeah. Layer. Yeah. And I remember I was walking around LA. I've got a bunch of friends out there. I would travel a bunch out there. And I remember thinking as I'm walking around in Santa Monica, what if God doesn't exist? And that, w- and that was a scary thought for me because I had built my whole life around the certainty of never questioning that, you know? And I grew up like in the church and I grew up as a 13, 14 year old going to bed. And like my two prayers were God protect my family. And the second prayer was, I, like, I don't want to go to hell, you know, like save me yeah. from hell. Right. So like pretty, pretty intense fear-based dictator. Kind this of. is as a child. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Totally. You know? So I was like, Oh, like if I do something bad, like I'm on God, I'm on the, like God's bad side. Like, you know, I grew up as an athlete, right? So uh, we from what's the word? Anthropomorphize God, right? So we yeah. project onto God what we are, right? And so the best that I could see as far as an authoritarian figure were like my dad or my coaches or whatever, right? And these people were like sort of just human, naturally impatient and, you know, you get on their bad side of do something wrong and all that kind of stuff where I was like, oh, God is this like kind of disgruntled, mostly frustrated coach in the sky. And, and so when I started going, does God exist? It actually was really, well, one, on one level was really beautiful because the God that I believed in had to die. Like it had mm. to die. It was, that, that God wasn't worth believing in. Mm. Uh, that guy, that God caused like all sorts of uh clenching inside of me and not opening and like but at the same time I had some mystical experiences in my early 20s that I encountered this divine loving presence that like totally shifted things for me so I so I I had this like I had these two opposing journeys happening one was kind of like the mental constructs right that I was like trying to find the answer through and the other was this sort of mystical beyond the mind moments that felt true beyond true beyond true, like true beyond like right and wrong, rational mind thinking true, like, like true, like, like at the core of my being, like true, like a song that makes you uh, want to laugh and cry and dance, like that kind of true, not like the true, like one plus one equals two kind of true, right? right? Like they are two different kinds of things. So I was going this mental this this sort of like mental constructs thing i'm deconstructing because it's not making sense for me and the whole the whole heart the heart-based connection to the divine like pulling me forward so i remember going okay what if god doesn't exist and i felt scared and i think that said a whole lot more about me than it said about anything else right and when that happened, I felt like I, I like hit the bottom, right? It's kind of like the point where if you've ever been afraid to run out of money, which I'm sure all of us have that kind of fear, like, and then when you do run out of money, you're like, Oh, I'm okay. Like, yeah. Like, like I'm, I'm still alive. Like I'm, that that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Right. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. But I got to this point, I was like, Oh, maybe God doesn't exist. And I was like, where's the lightning bolts, right? Where's the lightning bolts that are going to strike me down? And they didn't strike me down. And I went, oh, oh, interesting. And during this time, I started reading a lot of Richard Rohr, the Franciscan priest. He lives in Albuquerque. And you know, some of the books, oh man, me too. So one of the, some of the big, some of the, um, the books that really saved me 
we're uh, falling upward and everything belongs. Those are two I haven't read actually. So I guess I'm gonna have to pick what? them up. I know. Well, I've read the universal Christ and I've, oh, I've okay. read most of, uh, Oh, what's it called? The divine dance. Yeah, I mean anything he you read by him, you're gonna get the themes what he talks about, right? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, I remember reading in I believe it was falling upward. I actually went to try, try to find this part of the book and I haven't been able to find it since. So who knows if it even exists, but it was a big moment for me, right? I know it exists, <laughs> but I don't know where it is. Right. He quotes some guy, some philosopher, a thinker, and he goes like in this unraveling process, in experiencing God. Basically, there's an idea that the, the last thing that keeps you from God is God, God itself. So is the concept of God. Okay. So the belief in God is not the same thing as the experience of God. One does not need to believe in God in order to experience God. Just like I don't need to believe in you guys, Matt and Matt, I don't need to believe in you guys to experience you. I'm experiencing you. That is enough. So the, the, the part of the book that I read, it was like that every foundation that you stood upon would one by one fall away, that you could then fall into the nothingness that is God. And when I read that, I realized I wasn't crazy, <laughs> that I couldn't go backwards that that the unraveling uh, wasn't because there was something wrong with me, inherently wrong with me, or that I did something wrong. It was actually that I was being beckoned to a deeper, more beautiful understanding and experience of the divine. Wow. I, I really like that. You said that you couldn't go back. Hep and I have talked about that multiple times like man there's just no way that I can go back to believing the way that I have before when you experience a, a a deeper level of who God is and it is I like how you put words to some of the thoughts that I've had when you experience God in a way that is more of an experience than a belief you can't unexperience it yeah right well, I think what's so funny about this whole thing I was thinking about this while you were talking use use the term like mystical experience which I have no problem with. I know tons of guys who talk about it like that. I've had those experiences, but there's a stigma attached to mystical experiences. And I was thinking about it like in the old kind of charismatic evangelical world you came from, if we were to talk about some Holy Spirit encounter that we have, evangelical eyes and ears wouldn't think twice about that. I mean, we could say that God and the Holy Spirit, we had this moment and this happened or that happened or whatever. But the minute we have that sort of what we call a mystical experience, but it's not tied to the framework of theology that we were given, all of a sudden it's discounted. Have you noticed that in people? Yeah, of course. But it's so interesting. The very Bible that you guys are using has those moments that happen right. all the time throughout yeah. it. Like all the time. It happened to Moses. It happened to Abraham. It happened to Paul on the top of, or Peter on the top of the roof, or whoever, yeah, Peter. It happened to Paul getting knocked off his horse. Like all of these moments completely shifted history, uh, taking a group of people with a certain lens and viewpoint or belief system of what God was. And, and these moments, these mystical moments that completely opened it up and realized, I am not like what you think I am. Like that yeah. is. That's the whole story. So the framework, uh, I'll call it a framework, of what we grew up in built walls, not only around us physically, but internally that we would not ever dare go past, right? So I remember the first time, and I would call it cognitive dissonance when you go past that wall. I remember the first time I blew through that wall and I was like, oh God, oh oh shit, like, what do I do with this? Like, like you, know, you let like, yourself give in to the thing that you weren't allowed to think about yeah, before? Yeah, exactly. And, and then living outside of that, now, there's no way I could ever put myself back in that. 
Yeah. You remember that you know, experience at all? Or? Yeah. yeah. And, and I think for me, I would frame it as this. It was, it got down to the point where I, it was like, who do I trust? What do I trust? And a little deeper was, can I trust my own heart? Like, That's good. can I, can I trust really myself? Like, in, in where this is all headed. And, and when I say trust myself, it's like, can you trust the thing that you know deep down in your bones to be true, right? right. The thing that you resonate so deeply, like, can you, tr can you trust that process? And, you know, here's a difficult thing. The 21st century version of, of, of um, like American Christianity is so far removed from the truth of where it came from, like the uh, the epitome, if I could name it in a really like sort of caricature kind of way, is like agree, give mental assent to these kind of five different things, right? And it depends on what church you're in, like denomination, what those five things are, like right, like you got like some places it's like the Bible is the inspired word of God, you know, and there's like the divinity of Christ. And then like this, this, the atonement, atonement theory, like power forgiven. And like, you know, there's even like some people are like eschatology in there. And there's like, like, it just depends, right? Like what's most important. And then some people are like, well, it only gets down to one thing, right? Do you believe in God or that? No, believe in Jesus that died for you, right? Like, but at the end of the day, like the heights of the heights are know this information come to know this information and agree to it and don't question it. So that, yep. so that was, that was the, and the, the ones who were the most spiritual were the ones who knew the most information and could prove to others the, the most amount of things that they could also agree to. And I was like, this is messed up. Like, this is not true spirituality. Like this is this, like this there's no depth in this this is ego based stuff like this is all ego if you and i in this moment have to agree in order to be friends the depth of our relationship is like so shallow i mean think yeah. about it you and you and your you guys, your wife right do you guys agree on everything yeah, like no. can you then you must be able to find some deeper level of engagement, level of connection. But the, but the religion that we were born into was built around agreement. So in this process, unless I think somebody has an experience of great love or an experience of great pain, this is what I'm stealing, I'm stealing this from Roar. Like he talks about these are the, 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 re, the sort of primary means for transformation. So he talks about like, unless someone has an experience of great pain or great love, it's, it's hard to break through this script or this kind of narrative that we were handed you know there has to be a point where you go it doesn't this doesn't make sense right and it's the mystical moments in my life that made me eventually come to realize that there's something more beautiful than belief there's something deeply more meaningful and sacred and spiritual than belief and like we could use a simple example when the sun sets in Nashville, it's so beautiful. There's like pinks and like blues and, you know, oranges and all that stuff. Do I don't have to believe anything or name anything about the sunset in order to like experience its beauty. Actually, the moment I start naming it is almost the moment I start separating from it. But when I stand there with my like mouth wide open, just being like, wow, wow, wow. Like beginner's mind. I just transcended belief into this, this deeply connected experience with, with awe and beauty and love and the world and whatever, this moment, the present moment. The hard part is that we've been, we had leaders who gave us um, a non-compelling uh, spirituality, a beliefs, a belie agreement-based belief-centered Christianity. And that, my friends, needs to die. <laughs> well, what I think is so crazy about that is when you get down to belief, belief is just uh, a system of thinking, and we use our words to describe that system of thinking. And so when we talk about God or when we talk about church or heaven or hell or any of the, any of the other things, 
we're limited to just our words, right? And, and words yeah. are powerful. I don't, I don't think that they aren't. But when it comes to the divine being of God known and experienced, I mean, how can we honestly put words to that? Totally. Sometimes it just feels like to even discuss God with these, as complex as the English language is, with this petty little English language that we have, how can we comprehend, much less explain the divine, much less put a rubric on it for like how people grade, you know, how people stand up to the test. It's wild to me, man. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, I read a quote one time, said something to the effect of, what was the metaphor was like, this, this, it's the same degree of difficulty, us trying to explain or understand God, the creator, as it is the, the characters in a book trying to explain the author who wrote it. Like it's, I mean, it's kind of a funny sort of picture, right? Like, oh, like it's the ego that needs certainty. It's the small self that, that like has these needs. Oftentimes because we're afraid, we've got moments where we feel unsafe. We're trying to find some sense of okayness and control in the world. And really any true experience of God progressively loosens our grip in, in having that be the control center of our life. And so that's what, you know, that's why the mystics, they, those are the ones that really got it. Like they, like the ones that were out in the desert and the ones that were like, hold up, like they're the ones who actually got it. Dude, I spent, um, I spent some time, my family's got some land up in Devil's Den or right around Devil's Den. And so Nichols and I went up there <clears throat> a few days ago and just were out in nature, just cutting up, having a good time. And then I went back and we, and we went backpacking, me and another guy. And while we were there, dude, I was just out, I was laying on a creek bed. You know, I could hear the water, I could hear the birds, bugs, the whole thing. There's nothing for miles. And I've been getting into my own little form of meditation and breath work and the whole thing. So I'm laying on the, on the creek, like a flat bedrock on the side of this creek. And dude, I'm telling you, if I didn't have one of the most spiritual experiences, and I sound like a, like a, a wacky, like hippie when I say stuff like that to people who don't understand it fully. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it was as powerful as those moments that I would have described to you in the past where I was at a worship thing with my hands in the air and the music's on point and the lights are right and the fog machine, you know, whatever. But it was out in nature and there was a, I, I always jokingly say like, yeah, I'm going out to commune with nature, man. But sort of like, I'm not joking at all. <laughs> well, it's, that's funny that you say that because that you think that you sound woo woo or hippie or whatever. If you think about it, there are a lot of, of Christians that talk about things like going to their prayer closet. <laughs> like, yeah, if that doesn't sound weird, then I don't think your stuff sounds weird. Dude. I mean, That's fair. <laughs> what was it about that moment? What happened? Well, so <laughs> they've heard me talk about it on the podcast before, but are you familiar okay. with, with Wim Hof? Yeah. I've been doing some Wim Hof breathing lately. Have you? <laughs> Oh yeah. Dude, I, you're the second person we've podcasted with yeah. that randomly I've brought up Wim Hof and they've been like, yeah, dude, I love Wim Hof, the Iceman. Oh yeah. He's amazing. I, I, I did some Wim Hof breath work exercises over the last two weeks and I've done five rounds of his, of his kind of like standard thing. Yeah. And I felt like, I felt like I'm tripping on mushrooms. <laughs> Do you, like, Whoa, this is amazing. So I just pull up, there's like a 10 minute YouTube video. He goes through three rounds. Yeah. And there's gotta, kind of, hey, you gotta go to four round four and round five, especially round five. Now I've almost been a little too scared to go past five. I've done like, four. Oh, you gotta go five, man. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. Let's try six or seven. I gotta well, try this. You know what I've he, never done it. Oh dude. I'm I know about it. You, you know what he thing. says, right? He's always like what? get high on your own supply. Mm-hmm. And it's so oxygen. true, man. Oxygen can transition you into all sorts of crazy like states and really 
my experience of it is what it does is it, I feel like it gives blood flow in the brain to the higher, uh, I don't know, the higher self centers or if you want to call sure. it like that. So away from kind of more of that primal ego based judgment based kind of thing, more into like being fully here and fully present, the non labeling, the non duality, the like I am existing in an open curious curiosity with this moment. And it's so wild because like, I think that, and even like some of like things like in like psychedelic movement right now that's happening, whatever, these are all just like gateways into the reality that, that people like Jesus and Buddha lived all the time, like all the time. And this is what it's actually, like this is actually the invitation of where like we are invited to go uh, in our pursuit of what it means to be actually fully human, fully alive. So it's been amazing. Like I, I've, <laughs> I've been yeah. doing it and I'm like, I'm freaking out. Like, dude, <laughs> too, yeah, it's not too crazy, but like, it's, it's pretty sweet. Well, so that's yeah. what you asked about my kind of spiritual experience or whatever. I'm literally laying down on like a flat area of like bedrock and there's a Creek running next to me. And it had rained a few days ago. So like the creek's running pretty good and you can hear it. And like, you know how it is when you get deep in the thick of nature. I mean, yeah, it's just, you do when you're doing Wim Hof, you, you start to feel that like body, you can call it a body high. If you want, you kind of feel a vibration or a, Oh yeah. You're vibrating. Totally tingling. It's nuts. And like, yeah. Yeah. But then, so what I've been doing was when I do this, man, I'm really like contemplating some of these things. So I'll, I'll be doing it. And what's so crazy for me is I'm like a super, uh, Enneagram type three. Me too. I'm a three. I'm all about, you know, dreaming and scheming. And I'm always looking back into the future about what I do wrong, what I do good or in the, in the past, I mean, or into the future about what I want to do. Yeah. And so what I do when I'm doing the Wim Hof is it kind of puts me right there, dude. And like, totally. I separate from both of those things and I never understood yeah. what it meant to be present, but yeah. you know, even Jesus talks about, you know, be still and know that sure. I'm God. We or talked about this worry. with Jamal. Yeah. Don't worry about tomorrow. Right. Today is enough trouble of its own. Right. Yeah. It's like suffering exists in the past and in the future. There is no suffering in the present moment. So, uh, I've heard, I heard a great definition around stuff like pain is inevitable. Pain in our life is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Hmm. So suffering is resistance to pain that causes us to like either live in the past, which is regret, obviously, oftentimes, or in the future, which is like anxiety. So I agree with you. Like, and I've been, when I did the, when I've been doing the Wim Hof exercises, I don't know if you're like me, but I have these moments where I get to like, round five or whatever i'm doing like the in and out breaths 30 40 times whatever right and then i'm holding my breath dude i've held my breath like four minutes it's insane like are you serious it's insane so because you're oxygenating yourself so much but in that like oxygenating yourself i've had moments of insight that just like kind of went like just appeared i was like whoa what was wait what's that and it just like just like things just like open up and dawn on me i'm like oh i'm like actually using a practice like a real practice you can talk about spiritual practices physical practice that get me into an elevated state of being that actually opens me up to deeper wisdom right that's like always here the experience that's always here like when jesus talked about don't look here nor there but the kingdom of god is at hand it's within you this is what he's talking about the kingdom of god is not a place outside of time what I mean is like, it's not a place outside of the universe and outside of the dimension. The, the kingdom of God is a, is a reality that can be experienced right now for anyone and everyone, yeah. you know? And like, like, are the egoic mind and the wild interpretations, they totally missed it. Like everybody missed it, right? It was like this meritocracy, like who's in, who's out, tribalism, <laughs> belief-centered, like totally messed up. Because, because what Jesus was saying, everybody missed it. 
because they were looking at it from like a place that was too low, too small minded, too egocentric from what he was actually saying. But like what he was saying was life changing. Like really, like, and not the way that like 21st century American Christianity frames it. Like it totally different. He was inviting us into a reality. That's why it's still like John 17, I think it's John 17, three. This is eternal life. And the word eternal life is like the life of the ages, the Ionis Zoe or whatever like it is in the Greek. This is the life that you've been invited into, the life of the ages, to intimately and deeply experience Yada, the divine God. This, this is what you've been invited into, to intimately experience the divine, not to uh, expansively uh men create mental constructs around who's the most right and who can argue the best to get the most people agree agree with them about this three-letter word called called god like yeah no. like no you like you missed it like you missed it what i think is so funny is like we uh it, even if it wasn't about who's right who's wrong I, st- I mean, I know people with really, really good intentions and, and even in practice, they're, pr- they're pretty good people, I think. But sometimes it, I just kind of want to go, wait, you don't see this, but the recipient of your worship is not the divine God of the universe that you're talking about. It's actually you. your system, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and that's, that's, I think one of the first things that started rubbing me wrong like before i was thinking about issues about the bible and the hell or anything like that i was i remember thinking through like you know you start at just christianity at a high level and you say okay everyone that agrees with these high level tenets is a christian and then you kind of go a little deeper and you go well within this bubble of agreeing people we've got a bunch of disagreements and you work your way from christian to Episcopalian, Pentecostal, Assembly of God, Baptist, and then you get under the Baptist umbrella, and there's General Baptist and Primitive Baptist and so forth and so on, all the way down to this level that was like my ground level, which was my church and my denomination and my faith. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even think there was things left to disagree with at that point. I thought, you know, and yet there were. And I don't know if I would have ever called this a deconstruction, but maybe that's what it was. But that was one of the first thoughts I ever had was like, if we're so certain about all this stuff, how is it that the same people that I'm so that I'm that I pair with in certainty, how is it that we can still find so much to, to be different about? And then, you know, once you get to a certain level, you go, well, what, who am I right or am I wrong? Because at some point, if it's about right or wrong, my wrong undoes your right or vice versa. It, it, it just it, it was a it was a mess from the very beginning in my mind. But oh, totally. it was my reality and it was all that I knew. So what did I do? I built on it. I took the blocks yeah. that I was given and I built a, 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 a wall and a house and a, however far that metaphor goes. Well, I think even churches a lot of time, or just people in general, uh, let's, talk, let's talk about church people, or at least us growing up. We, I, I would relate it to debate club in high school. You go to class, you prepare on what you're going to debate about, and then when you go up and you debate the opposing person, you're, de- you're debating for your team, right? But in, in the church world that we grew up in, the match never ended, right? You always had to prepare. You always had to do that. And, and the, the sad part about it that I've found is you never get to know more of who God is, you know, about, quote, unquote, God but you really never get to experience them. And that sucks. And, and something I've said in, in past episodes is, you know, what's sad is, is that I had to take a step out of church to experience Jesus really in the most beautiful ways that I've ever experienced him in my life. Like I knew I got to know more of who Jesus was through stepping away from church and interacting with people that I'd never been given a chance to act, interact with. Mm. So what do you guys think about worship? <laughs> about worship? <laughs> yeah. What do you Elaborate. Think about it? I, dude, that's a funny question. I was thinking about this this weekend, actually. Singing because songs was... to uh, 
to God, telling God how great God is. Uh, you guys have any thoughts around that? That's, dude, I, can, I wish our listeners could see your face. There's like this childlike smirk where you're like baiting us in. So what do y'all think about worship? <laughs> I got them. What do you think, worship? Well, I've been thinking about it. Yeah, so my brain goes like a couple different ways. My first thing that I think about is, you know, we have to have an operational definition of what worship is, you know? Like, what do you think about okay. worship? I don't know. We haven't defined it yet. But, okay, how would you define it? Sure. But, well, okay, so so what you, you alluded to, like singing songs, it's hard, dude, because I like singing, but I'd be, uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say that at least a few times in my life, I've sang a little extra loud because uh, I like singing and think I have at least somewhat a gift of a talent for it. And I wanted the girl next to me to hear me. So is that worship? I don't know. It's very, it's very me. But I also think that uh, worship songs are so intertwined with theology. My biggest thing about what we do with worship today is that we, we could literally change the words. Now, we, we couldn't do it, and it's blatantly obvious, but we could just say some nonsense in a worship song. But if we climaxed musically, <laughs> I should rephrase that, huh? <laughs> no, no. No, you said that. Yeah, you're right. It's good how it is. You know, if we put the right boom, 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 and then we get the right, you know, we get the kick on point, and then we get the, the build up. get the swell coming in, so that we could be singing about whatever, dude. And, and people don't even think about the words, dude. Like, well, I guess when I asked the question, I was going. Don't tell us what you think yet. I want, okay. I want to hear what you're about to say, but if you're about to explain what you think, don't tell us yet. You then you tell me what you you tell me what you think then. Well, I've thought a lot about this. Um, I think that we, as the church, and I lump myself in there. I think to prescribe a certain way of worshiping for everyone, and that be the only form of worship for each individual. I think we missed the mark. Do I think that singing to God, singing songs to him, all that, dude, I, I personally think that that is one of the ways that I worship best, but a lot of times it's by myself. I love singing. I love music. I think it's powerful. I think though a lot of times and nowadays in the worship that is out there, it's more emotionally driven and not, not wrongfully so. I think that's okay. But if that's the only way that people are worshiping God, I, I think we might have missed the mark. Sure. What are your thoughts? I want to hear what you <laughs> I just think, um, okay, if I came to my dad and I said, and, and my, ex, my relationship with my dad looked a lot like this, Dad, you're so amazing. You are so wonderful. You are, Dad, I can't, you're the greatest. You're the greatest, Dad, of the whole world. And you will reign over all the earth, Dad. My dad would look at him and be like, what is wrong with you? Do you, like, do you have a psychotic break? Like, what's wrong? What are you doing right now? Like, what are you doing? And so, I just think it's, I think it's funny. Like, I, I, I think the word, I, well, I guess the question I would say, does God, does God need or want that? Does God have any interest in that? And if not, uh, what, what is it then that it is actually doing? What is, what, what is actually happening in worship? Now, I've had really profound moments, right? Singing out and like expressing this thing that felt true in the moment. I'm not going to discount it. I think right. singing, I'm, that, I'm in that same spot. I don't want to discount it. Yeah, I think singing is a, is a pretty powerful, like emotive expression that can be full body, right? Especially in a world where, where men we have only a certain amount of things that we're allowed to sort of express, right? Like in the world, like you don't cry as a man, right? You don't, you may be a little angry, but like, if you're a Christian man, you got to like shove it down. Like there's something really powerful about emoting, right? Fully giving expression to feeling. There's also something about connecting with something that feels 
bigger or connecting with love, right? There's something about that and singing is a practice, right? It's, it's been a spiritual practice in multiple cultures and multiple belief systems, like chanting, it connects us with something, right? And even scientifically, when people, when groups of people sing together, their hearts sync up, right? There's this syncing that happens. It's, it's a real powerful, like connected yeah. moment, <clears throat> a connected moment to sort of yourself, a connected moment to like a room of people, and then put on it like a belief system. And that's interesting, right? Like, but when I deconstructed or unraveled my idea of God, and the songs that I was singing, I didn't any more intellectually agree with. I went, what are we doing? And, and this, like, I'll give you guys a little insight. But this is, like, this, I'm totally a heretic for this, okay? Like, I'm straight heretic for this, what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> near, the, near the end of my, so I transitioned out of kind of Christian like worship music into kind of being a singer-songwriter. And I did that just to like stay congruent with myself. It was like, I just have to like, I can't, I, I couldn't like, I was like, no long, I'm having a hard time prostituting myself for something I don't totally believe in, right? That whole idea, right? Like, I got to make a buck. Yeah. So like, I'm going to do something, eh, I'll just do it to kind of pay the bills. And I got this point, I was like, ah, that feels too gross. I remember near the end, I would still go to a couple places and I might like play a Sunday uh, morning service, you know, in the midst of touring and playing, playing my singer songwriter stuff and little shows. And I would be singing songs. You guys know Phil Wickham's, uh, this is amazing grace. This is, you know, that song. And the core yeah. and the bridge is something like you are worthy. You are worthy. Like, you know, like a kind of a refrain over and over again. I used to sing that song. And as I'm in front of like a couple thousand people on a Sunday morning, I would literally be singing it to myself. You are worthy. Like you are worthy. You are worthy. Because if you know the core wound of the three on the Enneagram, it's worthlessness. It's like, you're only as good as what wow. you do. Like it's deep worthlessness. <laughs> and if you could get to actually the heart, the, the true heart of like the authentic Christian the Christ message is the, is basically this you belong you are you are loved from love you came and unto love you shall return and this whole process is about yielding to that love right so when I when I'm getting up there and I'm singing because I used to believe I was a piece of shit right like God is the only thing that's worthy and yeah. I'm a piece of shit now that's what I believe. That wasn't true. That's what I. That's what I was told. That was a narrative that actually wasn't worth believing. So me singing that song to myself was deeply like nourishing and worshipful. And I was like, "No, you are worthy, Brady. You are worthy." Like, like, and and that's the Christ message. Like, you are worthy. Like, you're worthy, right? only God is worthy and I am nothing. No, that's not the message. We've missed it. We've missed it. I'd be singing like, you are good. I'm singing it to myself. Like, you are good. You are good, Brady. Like, it's all these things breaking yeah. down this old, this old conditioning around a fear-based narrative of separation that we were separated from God, that we somehow needed some kind of like, you know, whatever to like get us back into right relationship. We needed the blood, like this, like, this shame-based atone, like uh, substitutionary atonement idea that actually is is not worth believing and is not helpful at all. Like these ideas were at the core of the message I believed that I wasn't good, that I was separated, that I needed to save. That is not the true Christ message, actually. I don't know, dude. <laughs> I'm just. I'll get going. I'm like. I literally told Nichols before. I was like, I've I've listened to a few of his of his podcasts and stuff like that. I'm like, all we gotta do get to a good spot and let him go, man. And we're good. <laughs> and I, and I, I say that as a compliment. That's not like a, that's a compliment. That's like, I feel, I feel, awesome. I feel that. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, I can't help myself sometimes. I can't help myself. <laughs> I was going to say this, man, what you were saying was so cool because I don't know. I don't have kids. Nichols just had a kid a few months you ago. Hear him in the yeah. You can probably hear him yelling that's in the it. background. Oh yeah. Yeah. He making himself known. Yeah. 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 He's our third podcast host. <laughs> I, you know, I, I like to think that one day when I have a son or a daughter, I hope that when when they think of themselves, that they do, in relationship to me, I hope they go, 
I am worthy and I am good and I am all these positive things in relationship to, to not only their own mindset for themselves, but how they know they're perceived in my eyes, you know? Yes. And so when you're sitting yes. there doing that, some people might have a problem with that going, dude, you're the center of worship now. It's like, no, dude. But you know, if we're going along with the mainstream narrative of who God is and who we are, and we use the father metaphor and this whole thing to sit there and look at God's masterpiece, so to speak. I mean, if you come in my house and, and find one of my paintings and you tell me how good it is, I'm, I'm flattered. You know, when you sit there with yeah. your guitar on stage and you sing, wow, how great am I? Not in like an egotistical, narcissistic way, but in like a, wow, God, look what you, <laughs> and it sounds, it's, you can't even articulate that because you just sound like an ass when you try, but. Right. No, yeah, yeah. I think the whole worship culture is like pretty whack, right? Like when you yeah. create a worship culture, like when you, when you say that the highest good of the expression of this thing that we're doing is worship, that culture bleeds into institutions. That's why then we become worship. We worship like the, the funniest, most charismatic pastor who can give the best messages. Worship culture invades everything. It, it, it's, a high, it's a very hierarchical levels, um, certain people who, who are better and worse. And it's a very performance-based kind of culture. And I guess my question is like, have we totally missed it? What if God said, now this is anthropomorphic, like I'm doing the thing that I don't like, but like, what if God was like, what, what are you, what are you doing? Like, I'm, wait, I'm kind of tired. Like you keep saying these songs, spiritually bypassing your own truth, thinking that I need or want something that I actually don't when like, what's actually calling us is like to connect to the divine within that is a deeper sort of place. Like, like, like true spirituality is realizing there is no other, there's no us versus them. There's no, it's no me. And you like, it's like, it's oneness, right? That was John 17. That's what Jesus sort of said. It was like, I am in the father and the father's in me. And I like, I love you. And you like, we're, we're all like, it's all part of this oneness message. And it's about learning to connect with the, the truth of your being, the truth of reality, which is like, we are not separate. You never have been separate. The only thing that separates you from God is the belief that you are separated from God. Like that, like the, the, and, and us believing that narrative is what causes a feeling of separation to exist inside of us, inside of our body. Any song or reality that's sung out of that truth is, is sort of hammering home something that's not worth being a part of. You are not separate from God. You never have been, and you never will be. This is what Paul was saying in Romans 8. What shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing, like zero. He named all the things, nothing. And so, so, what, so what's the point? How do we then live and experience reality as if that was true? Like how, how do we let all the beliefs and the limiting mindsets, how do we let them go so that we can engage in the world as deeply beloved, like deeply loved? Like I, I so when I was, when I kind of like identified more in the Christian world, Christian space, I would get attracted. I was attracted to like a lot of the mystics, right? So, uh, one of the authors, the Catholic writers that I really enjoyed was a guy named Brennan Manning. Oh. Brennan Manning was like to like total drunk, like like out of the Catholic Church and like total debauchery, like liar, compulsive liar. I read all his books. I loved him, right? He was like total mess, but like amazing, because all he did was talk about the love of God. He talked about the thing that he wanted to believe his whole life, right? That was this, that he, that he was loved because he was loved because he was loved for like no other reason, right? And one of my favorite books that he wrote was a book called The Furious Longing of God. You've got to read it. It's incredible. But I Googled him one time and I was like looking at different things and I found this one little segment, like a three-minute segment of him talking in some college or something. And he said this. In the 40-some years since he was first ambushed by God in a little cottage out in the Allegheny Mountains in western Pennsylvania, and he goes, and literally since then, the hours and hours that 
you know, he's dedicated to prayer and meditation and reading the Bible. He goes, I've come to the conclusion that at the judgment seat of Christ, when we stand before God to give an account of our life, that God will ask us one and only one question. Did you believe that I loved you? That, that, I, that I desired you? That I longed to hear the sound of your voice? And it's like our whole life is a response to what we believed about that question. Dude, I'm like, I'm torn because we're in such a flow, but like, we try to keep. We don't want to take up your time either. Yeah, yeah. And my 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 headphones are about to die, so I don't got much time left. I've been like milking them the last. I know, dude. But, <laughs> hey, this has been really beautiful. I love the journey you guys are on. Thank you for having these conversations. Thank you for being open and curious and yeah. and sharing it with the world. You know, this is a place uh, that I think many people are going, and it's. It's a place that's actually ultimately inevitable. So how yeah. do we find a new way? How do we find a new way that doesn't necessarily have to throw away everything, but where we can transcend, but also include, and we can let the things go that no longer serve us or the people around us and find a more beautiful way to see and experience life, God, and the world. That's more yeah. inclusive, more loving uh, from a deeper place, right? Of surrender. The need that needs a- to be right. That's a great way to, to say it. How, how can we find more of you, your music, your podcast, things like that? Follow me on Instagram at Brady Toops. Like, oops, but with a T. Follow me on Instagram <laughs> and you, you, can, you can find all the things. The Unravel with Brady Toops is a podcast I have. The, the link is on there. And, you know, if you follow me on Instagram, you can kind of find, find me wherever, cool. right? Excellent. Or the Google awesome. or check out the Google. Don't believe everything that you, you find on the video. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Dude, this yeah, has been love. incredible, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you guys so much for having me on. All right. Thanks, brother. We'll see you night. soon, man.